Hello and welcome to Forget the Numbers, the ACCA student podcast. Today on the show, we talk about what worked well in our own study and if we practice what we now preach when we sat exams. We also talk about recent news stories, including how long hours on a flight could become a thing of the past and the online companies coming under fire for their advertising tricks before getting to this week's student questions. I'm Connor and I'm joined today by Alan. Hello. And Katie. Yeah, everyone. Um, so... Surprisingly, Alan, you're probably the one who has done exams most recently. I don't know whether you'd like to, to draw on them or the ACCA exams you would have done in the past. But all the stuff that, that we talk about, you know, is that practical to bring in? Did you used to bring that into your study or is this something you've learned over time? I definitely think this is the hardest question you've ever asked. <laughs> I've, I've landed you in it now. And, uh, yeah, so the answer is no, I'll be honest, um, that I didn't use everything we have on offer. Um, But I have this weird, sad regret about my ACCA exams that they could have been easier and less stressful um, if I had done things a little bit better, I guess, and a little bit more straightforward and and not like when I was doing exams, not even uh, part of any resources we had, even in a classroom were on offer. That, that students, whether you're in a classroom or online right now, would have access to. Um, but unfortunately, it's only when you finish a set of exams and if you think back, you kind of go, I could have made that so much easier by doing this and this and this. Um, and But when somebody's telling you that, it's really hard to listen yeah. to advice. And I, and I get that. So um, am I a practice what I preach? Um, I probably didn't practice what we preach, but... I know how it felt afterwards and how hard it was because of that. And I think that's why we kind of say what we say. It's because it's not necessarily that we can say 100% every little bit worked for us, but you know after you've done it that it would have helped greatly. Yeah, and I think I think most people f- fall in a bracket of maybe not necessarily doing it right at the start, but it is a learning process and exams are a big learning process. I certainly did it the wrong way when I was in college where I was very focused on getting through theory and content and Mm. writing notes and, you know, reading books. And I I just wouldn't want to um, do questions early on. And I think Philip talked about this last week about how it suddenly can all make it very real when you're doing a question and you don't know. So we we like to stay a bit in denial. But I definitely feel I got it right then when I was doing my final accounting exams whereby... And I, not even at the start, not even the first few weeks, but I'd say the last six weeks, I'd start every morning with doing a question or a case study. And the big thing, and it's it's a hard thing to do, but the big thing I actually found was the best thing it did was keep you motivated. Because I think what can happen sometimes when we're... Um, when you're just watching videos and just going through content, you don't really know what's going in. And sometimes at the end of your day's study, you can feel like you didn't really achieve anything. Whereas I think if you start with doing a question and start with that <clears throat> bit of practice, you know, no matter what, you've you've achieved something. By If you do that at nine o'clock in the morning, by half ten, if you've done a question, gone to the solution, you've already had that productive work banked. So I think that that was a huge thing I found was that each day then I felt, you know, as I was getting later into the day study, I had all this good work banked. We talked a couple of weeks ago about kind of enjoying your study. Um, And I know some people probably maybe listen to that or listening to it now and are throwing things at whatever device they're listening through, (laughs) thinking you can't possibly do that. But I think you, 
you just said it there, you did a question and you feel like you achieved something. And when you feel like you achieved something, it's enjoyable. It doesn't matter how, what small win you have in your life. Everybody gets a, a kick out of that, those small wins. And, yeah. and it, it is providing extra motivation. Um, and I know you said last, the other day, that the, the webinar last week, people were asking you these questions about how you studied. And it's great that people are interested um, in what were successful um, and what I guess we're not too successful with. We've probably all, yeah. had, all had plenty of um, those. Um, but I do think it's, it's, it really comes down to self-motivation at the end of the day. And we can give one way and somebody else can give another plan. But it is about self-motivation and it is about kind of taking responsibility and saying, I'm going to start a day doing a question every day. And I used to do, my thing was that in the morning, I used to have more energy. I'm a very much a morning person, so I'd have more energy in the morning than I would in the evening. So my rule was I always started with a topic I didn't like. Yeah. Because then I figured today yeah, you only yeah, get yeah. better. <laughs> yeah, it's only going off the off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas you don't don't always don't start with your favourite topic, but because a few hours later you're gonna be pretty depressed about things. Yeah. But it was always about starting with the hardest thing first. And it might be something I dislike, but it could be the hardest thing or um some mathematical thing, some formulas were diff- might have been a difficult one to understand, or it's the an old fifty mark question, whatever it yeah. might have been. Um and again, so not only is it motivational that you've finished and you've learned something, but you've kind of got the worst thing out of the way. Yeah, and I think that's it's that thing of being honest with yourself is huge. Yeah. And we t- I talked a bit there about how you can be a little bit in denial, but you know, telling yourself that you're going to do a day's study and then do a mock exam that evening at six o'clock yeah. is just unrealistic. You're not being honest. But if you start with a mock exam and then say, "I'm going to get through a few topics," you can actually do that. And I. You know, we I know you you and Philip and Katie had talked about the survey results and that's a great time just after the exam where people are very honest about how the exam went, what mm. they did. But you to get the benefit, you've to bring that honesty into the next um you know, the next sitting. So it's all well and good to say I you know, I didn't prepare right, I didn't prepare long enough. But there's no point starting now and say, you know what, actually, I can get it all done in five weeks and yeah. convincing yourself that. So if the, the more honest you can be with yourself and about how you study and what times work best and how much you can actually get through in a day, that's what will, will really help you. Well, I don't think there's any person that I know, there's probably exceptions as there always are, but there's very few people that I know, if anybody that I personally know, who would say... Um, who wouldn't give themselves an excuse why not to study. And there's always yeah. an excuse. Oh, my leg is sore, my hand is sore, my pen isn't working properly, I don't have my favourite pen, whatever, the sun is shining from the east too long, <laughs> whatever whatever it might be, there's always, it's always easy to give yourself reason not to study because it's much harder to give yourself a reason to study. Uh, unfortunately, that motivation and panic hits in usually from what we see from students and feedback about 10 days to a week before the exam, then they're all motivated to study, but they're, to be honest, they're just going around in circles. And there's very little you can do. It's sometimes at that stage, if you've no um, background to it and no um, kind of foundation. But why put yourself like why put yourself in that situation? And, and that's the thing. And you sort of, at least you learn from which is probably something more than I could say. But <laughs> at least you learned from um, 
your experiences, as you said, you did something completely in your case study yeah. than you did before because you kind of, yes, I got through it, but I didn't. You, you kind of, I find you can pass an exam and in a funny way still not be a bit happy or a little bit happy about just the whole thing because you kind of go, like, it was just harder than it needed to be. I was more stressed than it needed to be. I'm more tired than it needs to be. And then, then I got another one, and where's the motivation for coming from that? But if you can go in and say, I gave it everything, I did it the right way, I passed the exam, I got the result that I deserved, and now you're motivated to go forward. Because sometimes if you make the three weeks for an exam, absolutely miserable. And even if you pass the yeah. exam, you don't feel I'm like, so wow, well, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm really psyched for the next one. Yeah, like, yeah. Bring it on. It doesn't. It's not that. It, it doesn't work like that. Um, the result doesn't give you the motivation. It's your brain thinking, do I really want to go? You're going to put me through all of that in the same way again? Yeah. That that's the hard part. It's not it's not getting the result or not. And I think the other side of that of you know, something that enables you to be very honest with yourself is making that plan. Because as soon as you make a plan for the sitting and you split it out between weeks, you've kind of got a contract with yourself then yeah. where you know you know if you're not if you're falling behind on that, you know if you're not staying up to date. So it's it's very easy to neglect the work that you have to do when you haven't mapped it out because you know you can disillusion yourself that oh i'll be able to do all those questions a week or two before the exam so that whole act of making a plan and it can be tough now and i know we we've talked about the study plans that we have but as soon as you have that and you can map out um your next number of weeks it becomes a lot easier to to follow that and to to know that you're sticking to it and to not kind of disillusion yourself to what needs to be done it's funny when I did an exam recently um, and I'm used to doing ACC exams and college exams and there's hundreds if not thousands of people in big holes and yeah. you're hearing people sneeze and move <laughs> and twitch and everything that they do and when I did my exam recently it's a pity it's too late and so late in life I learned this but um, I was in a room but I was in a room of my own it was a big room but I was just the only person doing an exam at that time and um, I'm sitting there thinking I've nothing to blame <laughs> I can't come out and say it was a bad exam and it was because the person over there kept on sneezing or sniffling or they were eating all the time or the traffic was too noisy or the invigilator was staring at me or anything. I was like in this room on my own and I was sitting there thinking, God, I don't even have a really bad excuse. Yeah. This doesn't go well. So I have to pass that. I have to pass because I have no reason. And I think that that could be very tempting to blame something else. But... I think even when you're saying, oh, I didn't develop my exam because it's too noisy in the exam hall, your your brain is actually saying to you behind it all, no, that's not reason why you didn't study. We yeah. know you didn't study. Because we know you watched that Netflix series. So you didn't study. And I think that's the, that's the part. And we can give you all the resources and share our experiences because our experiences are pretty similar. But unless you take responsibility and are honest with yourself, it's it's kind of you're not really going to succeed. If you're enjoying listening to the Forget the Numbers podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate us on your podcast provider. So Katie, our first news story is that a lot of online services are coming under fire for using advertising which tricks or pressures users into purchasing subscriptions or services. So there was two high-profile um, cases in this. The first involved Booking.com, which lets you book hotels and B&Bs who were found putting pressure selling to customers by falsely claiming how popular their rooms are. So 
if you use the site, you'd see there's only one room left, which pushes people to buy that room at that price. The second, which is a little bit more sinister, and they're actually being sued for it, is the online dating site Match.com gained half a million new subscriptions because they were advertising to users that... Um, you know, people were interested in their area and th these were fake profiles, but someone would see this profile and they were being told this person is near you and they're interested. Um, so they're actually being sued by the FTC. Um, and I suppose it, it's just bringing into question kind of, you know, how responsible are the companies for this, what the regulars, regulators need to do, or is this just really a case of, you know, the previous tricks of the past that you'd see in shops saying, sale ends soon, don't miss out, kind of coming into the online world. Yeah, like, uh, we, I think we do see this a lot and probably more goes on than we actually realise. But I think probably the key question here is, does the commercial tactic in what they're doing, does it outweigh the reputational damage that they could do? And you probably have to take this on a case-by-case -case basis. So, like you said, match, is it match.com? Um, are being sued. So obviously there's legal implications there, whereas Booking.com, they might get away with it or other kind of sales companies who are probably doing similar things on the floor as it like, you know, and it's just maybe the the online stuff that's kind of coming under scrutiny. Yeah, I but think like we've, we always end up talking about scandals and things, you know, Facebook and a lot of these big companies, what they're doing and what you kind of start to see is that, you know, unless the, the companies, although they say that we're looking after the customer and we have the customer's best interest, they are out to make money most of the time. And unless there's proper regulations or kind of controls put in place, they do seem to find whatever way they can around that. Yeah, and I mean, like it, do, it does work, like you said, like when you see that oh, only one room left, like you do get the bit of panic and people maybe are more inclined to just book then and there. But I think it's just the ethical then side that's coming into it. Um, and like I said, it's probably a case-by-case -case basis. But for, for, for the most part, I think um, there are a lot of ethical and then possibly, like I said, legal implications. So they just need to be careful. Yeah, and I think that's, yeah, like there is there is absolutely an ethical side and, you know, there's degrees of that. I think telling people they might miss out on a room is one kind of mid-range of the spectrum and then telling someone the love of their life is around yeah. the corner to pay 70 a month if they want to meet them or whatever is quite yeah, different. And I mean, the thing is, like, some people do really buy into that type of thing and believe what they're told. So, I mean, it's, you know, do you want to, you know, companies take a long time to build up, say, that trust with their client base and they are risking, I suppose, losing that trust if they do things like this. So it, it is just about being careful, I think. Yeah, and then I suppose it's just in terms of regulation, you know, there's there's obviously so many properties, let's say, on bookings.com around the world, how they can actually put proper controls in place that you check that. Yeah, how see, you, how do you control this? How do you or, control that? Yeah, um, but, you know, as we said before, there's there's a social responsibility on all these companies, but what we're starting to see, you know, if if the, the brand or reputational damage, you know, isn't actually affecting their business, they, they don't really seem to take ownership of some of these issues. And that's it's the thing, a, unless there's like a legal implication, they just... What's to stop them from just continuing on? Yeah, they or are. A, a five billion fine in Facebook's case, yeah. that you maybe have to start changing your ways. So I do think, you know, to to turn the tide on things like this, there needs to be either harsh regulation and penalties or or checks in place to make sure that this doesn't happen. The next story is a very interesting, I suppose, technological advancement. Is that? Um, the British and Australian governments have approved a space bridge partnership, 
which is working to enable travellers to fly from the UK to Australia um, and vice versa in just four hours. So this is, and I'm going to get very kind of (laughs) Star Wars space talk here. They have a hybrid hydrogen air breathing rocket, which is being (laughs) developed to add to airplanes um, that could propel an aircraft at almost twice the speed of Concorde. So they said to Australia would be four hours from London and then to New York in just one hour. Yeah, so I like it. really this is a could change the whole scope of what it means to be in a, a different country or, or far away. Yeah, like it's amazing. Like just you mentioned the, the speed there. I, I read that it's going to be five times the sound, the, the speed of sound. So it's going to be... I mean, if, do you think this will take off? Like, well, they're, the they're not. I suppose they're talking about it um, not in a way that's you know hypothetical or, or this is just a very early stage technology. They're saying by the mid twenty twenties that they're going to be doing the, all the tests, um, the test flights, and I suppose getting through those regulations that it's deemed okay to fly. And then they're looking at um, like aiming to commercially launch this at some time in the twenty thirties. So. Within 15 years, you know, you could see this being a reality that yes. people could pop to New York for a day shopping or <laughs> fly to Australia for a business meeting. So it's really the concept of, you know, people being close together and able to network in that way is just completely changed. Yeah, like I, like I said, it will really change the landscape of like from both the personal side, like you said, your shopping trip to like business logistics. So like if you're a company that has bases all around the world or whatever if this is the way it's going it's going to make things very easy like the, the whole landscape of business could change yeah. but it's you know like we've seen the concord before it's just seeing does this act like would people actually trust in something like this i think you'll always get people that yeah like are mad trying new things but i'd say for like in most cases i think people would be a bit iffy maybe a bit, like, i know i would be about going on something like that but like you said yeah. all the test runs are to come and we'll just see in time um, i guess yeah we might have commercial space travel by that point so a quick trip to Australia might not seem that far each week at the end of the show we answer questions sent in by our listeners you can send your questions in by email to podcast at learnsignal.com or tweet us at learnsignal so one of the questions we've had some students Connor and considering they were kind of your brainchild um, (laughs) is about the correction packs and I guess from their perspective is like, what are they? Why will they? Why would they be useful? How much should they use them? Yeah. So the the idea behind the correction packs is, you know, to take it back uh, to when we're in school and you're looking for that continuous feedback and you're given, I suppose, ongoing assessments. The correction packs is really a way to enable students to do that. When you purchase a correction pack, it allows you to submit any question of your choice into our tutor team, and they will. Um, corrected obviously but they'll give you really detailed feedback and it's the same feedback that we'd look to give later on with full mock exams but I suppose the correction backs are kind of a step before you get to that full mock exam where as you're studying as you're doing different questions on different topics you can continuously be you know submitting these to our tutor team to make sure that you're on the right track and the really important thing with with doing that and it's the same reason we always encourage people to do mock exams early is that you know if you're doing um submitting questions for corrections around now week week seven week eight you're getting that feedback in so early that you can bring all those changes and bring that advice in early to every question you do so the real benefit in them is that you can 
not only really track your progress, but you can you've plenty of time to take on board all that really good advice. Um, so yeah, so I think in terms of you know if people are looking when they should do um, correction packs and mock exams, now is a really good time to be doing correction packs, and you can build it into your study plan. Even you can look at what's the question at the end of the week. Maybe I submit my um, use one of my correction pack submissions for that and see you know where I'm at with that topic with that question and with how I'm answering questions well I think it's part of the back to the responsibility what you said earlier it's committing as part for you um, it's committing to the fact that I might submit one or two or three every single week and I have to have my question done by this night so I can get the feedback in three days time and then continue on with my studies and really like I think it's a really good point about learning now. There's no point in finding out the night before your exam, your whole technique is off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think learning now, learning those tips now, getting that feedback now is invaluable for um, what's to come in your exam. And I, 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 do, I think they're a great idea. Um, and the fact that they can submit any question that's really down, like mock exams are different. We set them and we give the tests and you kind of have to take it. But the, you're, it gives you the opportunity, especially if you're good in some subjects and you're really comfortable with it, it's a really good way of targeting the subjects you don't like. Yeah, and I think another, um, I suppose, really good endorsement for it is that I'd say our most popular, so you can buy corrections packs as one, a five, or a ten. So if you get a five, you could submit five questions, a ten, ten questions. And I would say our most popular is probably the 10 and then after that the five and you know f- few people they might do it the first time where they just buy the one correction but the students all find you know it's something they like to do a, a number of times and a lot of we've had some students who've really bought into the, the this whole idea of testing themselves that are buying multiple correction packs of five or ten in a sitting and they're they're even submitting you know might be submitting two questions a week and they ramp that up right up to the exams so it's it's really good to see that students are finding the benefit of that of that continuous feedback of checking in with the tutor team um, and it's also making sure that you're continuously practicing questions okay so we're going to finish up there for today thank you to alan and katie and we'll see you all back here next week bye bye bye